pray for everybody in this room. I pray for your spirit to move today. I pray for us to, as I prayed earlier, Lord, just recognize those giants in our lives, Lord, and start just know that we've those battles are won and trust trust in you, Lord. Lord, I, I pray for our hearts, our minds, our ears to be open, Lord, and just help me to speak clearly. And we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. In your name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you haven't already. So a lot of you maybe or maybe don't are familiar with the HBO series. It's a few seasons, several seasons, it's over now, but the Game of Thrones. You guys know about that one. Or Now that they've realized they can make a bunch of money, they've come out with another one called House of Dragon which if you haven't watched those, maybe you're more familiar with this one, is Lord of the Rings. Like there's been a series about that. Well, once again, we can make money off of this, so let's come out with a prequel so they have a new show called The Rings of Power. But why I mention this and why I bring these up is what are these series all based on? What is the thing that, that in these series is just overwhelming? It's power. It's power. Everyone wants it. Everybody wants power. Lord, in the House of Dragon, everybody wants the, the, the Iron Throne. In the Lord of the Rings, everybody wants the ring. This ring of power. They're willing to do whatever they can to keep their power and whatever they can to gain that power. So, in, our, in Acts, we're going to see today that this is the power that the high priests, that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they want to keep their power. Because this is, this is in that culture, this is the, the group of people that had all the power. They made all the decisions. And, and as we've been talking about in Acts, we see that the apostles, they're preaching the gospel message of Jesus. They're preaching about Jesus. They're saying Jesus is the Messiah. And this Messiah is the one that... Like, they've been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for this Messiah to come, but it wasn't what they expected, right? We know that. It's not. It was a Messiah that came to serve, to not be served. A, a Messiah that gave his life to save all of us. A, a Messiah that, that didn't come with all the power in the world, which he did have all the power of the world, but he didn't come with that power and overthrow all the nations and conquer the Roman Empire, conquer all the enemies of the Jewish nation, and establish Israel once again as the dominant power in the world. This wasn't a Messiah that sat on an earthly throne, that sat on an earthly throne and, and ruled as king. Instead, they got a Messiah that really gave up all of his power, right? He suffered death on the cross, paid the price to forgive our sins. A Messiah, though, that rose from the dead, and it, the scripture tells us he's on his throne now. He's seated at the right hand of God, which is, a, is the power seat. That's the seat of power. Not an earthly throne that the Jewish people wanted him to be on, that that's what they expected him to sit on. They expect him to be this earthly king that rules. And if you know your history in the Bible, like Israel, like you've already had that. You've had a series of generation after generation of kings that sat on the throne and that didn't work. So why do you want that again? But that's what they were waiting for. We're going to look at today in Acts 5, verses 17 through 42. We're going to kind of break it up in chunks. We're going to start with looking at verse 17 through 20. Then the high priests and all his associates 
who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. So this, the high priest, this, the people in, in power, remember? They're jealous of these apostles. Because they saw that the, the crowds the apostles were getting were bigger than the crowds they were getting. So they were gaining some power of this message about Jesus. And they were probably fearful that we're going to lose some of their power. So those in charge, of course, like, we're still in charge, so great idea. Let's throw them in jail, right? Throw them in jail, shut them up. Keep them in jail, keep them locked away. They can't do anything, right? And we better do it now because we still can't because we still have the power. So they rounded them up, threw them in jail. But the one with the actual power, God, he had some other plans, didn't he? Stepped in. Freedom from jail. Took them out of there. This week in class, we, were, we have this discussion once a week that we get together and we just talk, and we, the sub- subject of power came up. Somebody said, you know, most of the struggle between people or between nations, doesn't it really come down to power? Because we're all trying to have power. And then we, this one is really interesting because then we start talking about power in the church. And I mean church in quotations, like the church in general, the historical church. That we can see periods of time where we can see throughout the church history the church wanting to remain in power. And they, just like those, those series, they do whatever is necessary to remain in power. So we brought up the Crusades. That's one example of, of, of power. There's other examples, but the church felt threatened. The, the Muslim nation was growing. And that's not all the reasons, but so really the church declared war against the Muslim nation. Convert all of them to Christianity by force, or if you didn't, you would die. Now, we have similar episodes in the church history, right? Right here in America. Right here in, in, in Montana. Some of my friends here that are in this room that are Native American, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? When the missionaries came here, they built schools. They took your children. And as, as one of the people said, they said, we need to take the Indian out of the Indian. That's not a great moment, church. That's not a good moment. That didn't represent Jesus. That didn't represent the gospel at all. That wasn't the message the apostles were preaching. So why does we do... Why? why? Because it comes down to power. Now, to further complicate, let me add something else to this to think about. Throughout history, even today, we probably think it too that the church viewed itself as having the ethical and moral authority. But does those two examples I gave you in forcing people into Christianity, does that sound like ethical and moral behavior? Or does it seem like perhaps in history that the church, in just like these high, high priests and all of his buddies, that they wanted power and they wanted to keep it for themselves? Or maybe even wanted to gain power over people. I think missing who is really in power. 
creating a power struggle. Power struggle that comes down to, really, is it a power struggle between us and God? God has the power. But we want to keep our power, right? Like, we like our power. We do what we can to gain power, to keep power, to remain in power. Having power struggles between ourselves that we don't want to lose that power over even ourselves of making our own decisions, of doing our own thing, doing what I want to do, or even power that we think we have over others. Because we don't want to humble ourselves, surrender our power to the one that has the power. Surrender ourselves to Jesus. So let's continue on in Acts. We're going to start, look at verse, start in verse 21. So what we see in verse 21 is that, that the apostles, they obeyed the angels. And at daybreak, they began to teach the people once again, just like they've been doing. And the high priests and all his cronies come back and they go, okay, let's, let's get these apostles out of jail and let's, you know, let's listen to them and we'll punish them and we'll do whatever we're going to do to them. But there was a problem, wasn't there? Apostles weren't there. They, they were out of jail. And, and so the guy that goes gets sent comes back to the high priest. And I, I can imagine like he's probably going, oh, I don't want to do this, but I got to tell him. Because he's probably afraid he's going to get, something's going to happen to him. And he says, um, um, they're not there. Well, what do you mean they're not there? Well, yeah, like the jail cell's locked and the guards are standing there guarding nobody. Like there is somebody, but they're not there. So I'm assuming it's, Probably a little confusion, probably some yelling, some screaming going on. How can this be? And then someone walks in and goes, uh, you know, those guys that you threw in jail last night, well, they're back at the temple preaching, teaching the people again. So let's pick up the story in verse 26. It says that that the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. He gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. He said, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I think this maybe is saying the high priest are realizing like, we've lost some power. Because... Did you pick up that? They, they were afraid to use force. They were afraid to have these apostles brought in by force because they were afraid the people that were listening to him would stone him. I think he's lost some power. He's worried about it. And then something else, the high priest would not even use the name Jesus. So maybe we can ask, who do we identify more in this story? Do we identify more with the high priest? who is fearful, fear of losing his power, fear of even using the name of Jesus, or the apostles, who despite face whatever they were going to face, still continued to preach the message of the gospel. Now before you answer that question, let me put it this way. All your conversations this past week that you've had, how many times did you mention God? How many times did you mention Jesus with those around you? Or were you afraid to even mention the name Jesus? Because if I mention the James, name Jesus, I might lose some of my, maybe my social status. I might lose some 
power maybe amongst my coworkers, my friends. Somebody might say something about me or somebody might judge me a certain way. Wherever you were this past week, how many times did you say the name Jesus? Afraid maybe to even say the name of the one that has the power. Jesus. Afraid that even if you say the name Jesus, that something will happen. You know what that something might do? That something that might happen? Might people, people might come to call Jesus their Lord and Savior. They might receive forgiveness of their sins and become part of the family. If we would just simply say the name. This past week I was golfing with a friend. There was a church, con- our fall conference was this week. So I went out there and I have a friend in Spokane. And so we golfed a day. Just two of us. But, and I knew there was going to be two more people, two strangers that were going to join us as a foursome. And uh, I never met them before. But when you meet someone the first time, like what's the question that they always ask? When you, what do you do? So what do I do? Because I have a choice to make. Do I tell them that I'm a business owner and a pharmacist? Because if I do that, like I'm going to gain some power, right? I'm going to gain some status. Or do I say, yeah, I own my own business, but my full-time job is being a pastor at a church. Maybe giving me an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Because I have a choice. Fearful, maybe I'm going to be judged. But how often do we not say anything about God? Perhaps when we do that, we quench the Holy Spirit and we miss an opportunity. Now here's, here's in the text kind of what Peter and the apostles would do. This is what they would do. They weren't afraid to say the name of Jesus. This is what they said in verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now this is like the third time Peter, or fourth time Peter has said, in five chapters, yep, you guys killed Jesus but we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. 1 Peter 2.17 tells us, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. But look at that, those words, and it says, fear God. Which I th- see that. It says, honor the emperor, but fear God. I see that if it's something, like God trumps the emperor or other people in power. That if it's something God's asking you to do, that trumps whatever the authority says. But that brings up this term that we might call civil disobedience. A term that we might use to not obey the law. A disobedient that we might use to justify some of our actions. Saying, I'm doing it for God. But am I? Is it more about me than it is about Jesus? Bible gives us examples of this too. Bible gives us examples. If you remember in Exodus, remember Pharaoh commands all the Hebrew midwives because these Israelites are growing like insects. And he says, you know what? You Hebrew midwives 
kill all of the first, all of the male children, all of the male babies. So they have civil disobedience, and they don't. And they also then tell a lie when confronted about it. Joshua, we say Rahab. Rahab, story about her. If you remember her, she some spies come from the Israelites to look over the land, and she sees them. She takes them in. She hides them. The soldiers come. Where are the spies? She lies again and lets the spy, gets the spies to safety. Civil disobedience. And perhaps one of the biggest ones we see is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that? Nebuchadnezzar makes this golden statue and says, you've got to bow down and worship this. And they refuse. Civil disobedience. Civil disobedience that I think we, try, we have in our own world today. There's riots. There's protests. I'm not going to get into it, but there's a thing called Christian nationalism. But are some of these actions of the world today ones that are opposite? They're not like what the apostles were doing. The apostles, no, they weren't obeying the high priests. They weren't obeying this, the, the authority. Because what they were doing was spreading the message of the gospel. We read about them. They were healing people. They were performing what the Bible constantly tells us, signs and wonders. Signs and wonders that point people to Jesus. Are some of our examples of civil disobedience for the purpose of the gospel? Or because maybe we think we are losing power. And when our civil disobedience, we're not preaching the gospel. And we're certainly not representing Jesus. This week in the class, like we were saying, we're having this discussion of power. And we talked about how the church has lost it. And they want it back. Church, like I said, used to be the authority on morality and ethics. But now in some people's points of view, it's not anymore. Based on history, I brought up that history like... Do you blame them? And even now, sometimes what you see people try to say that they associate with the church or associate it with, with God kind of makes me question sometimes a moral and ethics that, is that the moral and ethics that Jesus demonstrated for us? You know, the catchphrase a few years ago is, what would Jesus do? Remember that one? I think he would love us. He would serve us. He's not going to fight for power. He's not going to fight for control. He's not going to enter into this power struggle. Because remember, he surrendered his power, gave his life for us, but to gain power. And is seated now at the right hand of his Father. So, what we see now, actually, is we see some other people defining what morality and ethics are. Morality and ethics that I think a lot of us would agree, they don't follow what we follow in the Bible. Moral and ethics that the apostles, I think they also had some of those, those morality and ethics problems in Rome, too. Faced with the high priests, trying to gain power. Simply, the apostles were following the ultimate power. They were following God, obeying Him. 
not causing a revolt, not leading a revolt, not wanting to cause harm, not judging people, not just a bunch of things that is the world around us today throughout history that we see people say that they've done it in the name of God. But the thing that separates this, the apostles, and I think for our lives too, what we need to be about, the apostles were all about Jesus. Are we all about Jesus? Everything in our life is about Jesus. Those times when we look at civil disobedience, is it about us? Or is it about Jesus? That's what the question is, isn't it? Is it about Jesus? Now, in our story, Gamaliel stands up and addresses the leaders in this room. He sends the apostles out so they can talk. He says how there's been people in history, like we've seen it, these, these, these uprisings rise up and eventually the leader dies or the people kill him themselves. And then the followers disperse and it just dies out. And then these are the words he says to the, the, the high priests and the Sadducees. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave, this, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will find yourselves fighting against God. Questions maybe we need to ask about what are we teaching? What are we proclaiming? What is our motivation? Is it from human origin? Human origin, like what Gamaliel was talking about, if it's from human origin, it's just going to die out. Or someone's going to kill the leader. Or is it from God? Are they all about Jesus? Or is it there's some us involved in there? Let me give you something else to think about. This is Romans 12, 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Which my wife is really good at telling me that. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So those times of our civil disobedience, our protests against those in power, is it doing this? Is it feeding our enemy? giving him something to drink? Or is it something about my own human nature? Is it from God? Are we fighting? Maybe we're fighting our own battle. Or is this a battle that is instructed by God for us to fight? God instructed the Israelites. If you know your Old Testament, the God instructed the Israelites. God gave them specific things of how to go fight. Go do this and do this, and the land will be yours. Like, there was clear instructions in, in battles to fight that God said to fight. But then when they fought their own battles, usually didn't work out so well for them. 
Some of these questions, like, I'm not going to answer these questions for you because you need to answer them for yourselves. But maybe we need to ask those questions of ourselves. Question, ask that question. Is this battle God's battle or is this really my battle? Because there's, there's this power struggles a lot of times. Maybe in, within our own self. Or they're just a power struggle with someone else. But it's not really a power struggle that comes down between evil and God. It's not an easy question sometimes to answer. But just remember that we represent Jesus. Everything should be about Jesus. We represent Jesus. And people should see Jesus in what we are doing. If you don't see Jesus, you might want to ask yourself that question. Is this about me more than it's about God? Now, there's times and there's situations where, where we can't obey God and still please or still follow the people in charge. During those times, I read this and said, yep, we need to obey God. We need to trust his word. Luke, Jesus warned the disciples about this, warned the apostles. Luke 6, 22 through 23. It says, what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. Which is what the apostles did. That was their reaction. Look at the end of this, Acts 5, 40, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. They were beaten. They were insulted. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And this is what the apostles did. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had counted worthy of, they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So that day of golfing this week, I should have been rejoicing, right? Knowing that I was going to be asked that question by some strangers. Rejoicing that I was going to have this door open to teach and proclaim the good news. Should have been rejoicing that I was going to be given a chance counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. But it's hard, isn't it? Because to do that, we've got to make ourselves vulnerable. Open ourselves up to criticism, to abuse, hostility, thrown in jail, whatever else someone might do to us. But if I say nothing, then maybe I can keep some power, right? I can control the conversation. I can control the situation. Maybe even thinking that I can control the other person. So that's a kind of a power struggle with myself. But if I know that I have this life-giving teaching for someone, but I'm too afraid. What if I had the apostle's attitude? I heard the words of Luke. I responded like the apostles here. They rejoiced when people hated me, when they said things about me. I rejoiced because I was worthy, because I was following God, following Jesus. I was following the Holy Spirit. 
I gave my power up. And I gave my power to where the power should be. And I find my strength in the Lord. Psalm 28.7 tells us, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in song of thanksgiving. We also know the words in Deuteronomy 31.6, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not panic before them. For the Lord, your God, will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. So we stop struggling with this power and do as the apostles did. We never stop teaching. We never stop proclaiming the good news. This good news that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one who gives life. What if that was our message? There's a quote in your, in your handout. It's by a guy named Hugh Thomas Kerr. It says, we are not to preach sociology, but salvation. Not economics, but evangelism. Not reform, but redemption. Not culture, but conversation. Not progress, but pardon. Not social order, but a new birth. Not revolution, but regeneration. Not renovation, but revival. Not resuscitation, but resurrection. Not a new organization, but a new creation. Not democracy, but the gospel. Not civilization, but Christ. We are ambassadors, not diplomats. We are ambassadors. Ambassadors that represent Jesus. That represent Jesus and our message is to share the gospel. This message doesn't change. It's always about Jesus. Because diplomats, what do diplomats do? Diplomats come into a country or come into a relationship with someone and they negotiate. There's gives and there's takes. There's compromises. Diplomats come to agreement with other leaders, with other countries, with other people. The message of the gospel is not negotiable. The message of the gospel has power. Life-giving power. That we must lose our life to gain this power. But it's not our power. Power comes from the Holy Spirit living in us. Power that we surrender to Jesus and we rely on His power to sustain us. Power that we find to rejoice when the world hates us. Power to boldly obey God. Go into the world proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Lord, I pray for this power. Power. 